Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 15th by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew 4, 5-7. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, been going through the temptations of Christ, and uh, we're on the second one, and i like to, if we will, stand and, and, and read uh, the scriptural text in honor and reference to God's word. And we're going to be in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. And it says, And the devil taketh him up unto a holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Most kind and gracious Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that we would understand this passage of Scripture, Father, and understand it from your perspective and be able to see just how many times maybe we ourselves tempt you by our actions, by our words, and that we would learn not to do so, Father, but would stand up on your word and confront the evils of Satan. And so, Father, we just give you praise and glory now as, as we look at your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we, we started in uh, chapter 3, and what we saw was the need of real salvation. That's, what, that's basically what all chapter 3 was about, was, was the plan of salvation was being written down, was being shown to us in a very clear way, and that a person has to recognize God's judgment on their life because of the sin in their life, because they're born sinners. I was born sinners. You're born sinners. We're all born sinners. And we have to recognize that God is judging us because of that sin. And then we have to repent of that sin. And then from there, we turn away from that sin and turn to Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross of Calvary by shedding his blood that, that paid the price for that sin. And that's the plan of salvation. That's the way it has always been from Genesis 1-1 until Revelation 22. One or 22. I can't remember which, which, how many chapters it had. But uh, it's always been that way. Okay, it's always been that way. Uh, Old Testament, they look forward to the Messiah, the promised one. We look back to the one who was promised, that is Jesus Christ. And we know him that way. And so that's important. Now, chapters 4 and 5 that we're, that we're going to be in, we're in here, and then we're, we're moving on and, 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 and as we go. But in, in those in those chapters, what we see is we're dealing with the child of God, the believer, the person that has accepted by faith what Jesus has done. They've repented of their sin and, and, and they are a child of God. And so in chapters four and five, he's, he, we're dealing with believers and he's showing them how to live out the rest of their lives in the fullness and guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we see in chapters four and five. And Matthew here is using Jesus as our example. And so you can't have a better example than that. And so the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in Jesus' life, he says he compels him to go into the wilderness to fast and pray. 
I find that very interesting. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does with Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless one. He needed to go fast and pray. And again, he's doing this for our benefit, teaching us how he expects us to live. And so that's so important for us to realize. And so him being our example, we should see the importance of fasting and praying in our life. Now, we looked at the first temptation last week. And as I said, there might have been more than three, but we only have three recorded here. And I think these three, as I've already mentioned, I believe that these three types of, of, of sin covers the whole gambit of sin. Myself, That's just my own personal belief uh, based on the scriptures I shared with you last week. Um, but that first one is overcome the lust of the flesh. And we found out we're, we overcome the lust of the flesh by what? By being content in the provisions of God. We got to be content. Whether we're rich, poor, hungry, uh, or, or well-fed makes no difference. We're content where God has us in our circumstances, in our situations, because we're trusting him. He is going to provide for us. And so we learn to be content. Now, today we're looking at the pride of life. And how do we overcome the pride of life? I believe according to scripture right here, it says we overcome the pride of life by being humbly obedient in faith to God's plan. So obedient faith to God's plan is how we overcome the pride of life. And so the second temptation being the pride of life, we see here that Satan has taken Jesus to a place that would appeal to Jesus' pride. The temple. The temple of God. Now, Jesus knew that was just an image, that was, that was just a, a temporary temple because the real temple, were, temple was in heaven that the temple on earth was, was, was formed after. But Satan takes Jesus there. And what Satan is doing, he is offering Jesus the word of God as a temptation. Do you realize that? He's given Jesus the word of God, and that is the temptation. And so it's important that we, have to, that we realize that we need to be in God's word studying God's word, rightly dividing the word of God so that we don't fall into this temptation of the pride of life. How many times, and, and, and this is one of those areas that speak to leaders in the church, pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers, because they are more apt to fall into pride, the sins of pride than probably anybody else. Okay? And so it really speaks to them. And so he's offering him the word of God as a temptation. And Satan does this by quoting scripture, but doing so in a way that misrepresents the truth of the scripture. Okay? That's what, he, that's, that's what it's doing here. He's misrepresenting the truth of the scripture. Now, here's just an easy example. Genesis 2.18 it says, and the Lord said, Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Well, that's a true passage of God. But the way Satan does that is, well, you know, it's right. It's not good that man be alone. So we just live together with, you know, this guy and this girl. And nowadays, two girls, two guys, whatever. We just live together. 
wrong. That's not what the Bible is saying there. What the Bible is saying there, that it's not good for a man to be alone. And so what happens, God has created what was called marriage between one man, one woman, born that way from birth. That's what it says. That's what God's plan. But Satan, what does he do? He twists it around. Okay? And we have to be able and willing to see the wrong, the wrong there. Now, so let's look at our passage of Scripture here. What Satan is doing, Satan is quoting to Jesus the Word of God out of Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. And in verse 11 and 12, it says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee, but he leaves out this part, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And so do you see what Satan's done? He has omitted the very heart of the passage of Scripture. In fact, by quoting 11 and 12 and, and, and leaving out that part of 11 and not going to the whole context of the entire chapter of Psalm 91, he's left off a whole bunch. First, he left off to keep thee in all thy ways. But the context of the entire psalm teaches us that we are kept safe when we are following his ways. And verse 1 very clearly says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So otherwise, what's taking place here is if we are dwelling in God, if we're following His ways, then God will protect us. That's what's being taught here. But that's not what Satan is saying. See, the condition here is not you can do whatever you want because you're a child of God. That's not the condition. But yet, that's how many Christians live their lives. I'm a child of God, so obviously whatever I'm doing is a good thing. must be right. It must be of God. Wrong. Some of the biggest fallacies in church today is we're out doing a lot of good stuff, but it's not God's work. It's our work. Pride of life. God didn't lead us there. We led ourselves there. And see, that's what's taking place here. God will protect those who are following the way of God. And this is where many Christians get into trouble. They get, they get involved in things that seem to be right. And so they believe that God must be involved. God must be behind it. After all, it feels right. It looks good. It's, it's, well, it's never wrong to, to go feed the poor. It's not wrong to, to do these things. But yet Jesus' example he gave was, I never knew you. I never knew you. You did all these things. I never knew you. Why? Because you did it for yourself. God didn't lead you to do those things. And this is where I believe, especially the American church, Christian church, good foundational churches that believe the word of God have fallen away because they're doing good works, but it's not God's good works. They don't have that obedient faith. What they're doing is they're following their own presumption. 
We presume, we, we presume this is of God. And we cannot do that. We can't do that. You see, if God's not involved, then guess what? It's Satan as the angel of light deceiving so many Christians. Because one thing, God would never, ever ask us to do anything that is contrary to his word. Anywhere in the Bible, if, if what you're doing is contradicts the word of God, what you're doing is of you and not of God. Because he'll never ask you to contradict God's word. Ever. Holy Spirit doesn't do that. And so we have to be willing to take a very honest look at our works and circumstances in our lives, our situations, and make sure we're viewing them from God's perspective. Because we start to see the person over there, I really don't like that person, but we start to see that person from God's perspective. You know what happens? We begin to pray for that person. You know what happens? That person doesn't change what we do. God changes us. And that's what has to happen is God has to change us so that we see things his way. But yet we're trying to get God to see things our way. And we can't do that. We can't do that. It's our own presumption that's the sin. See, as a Christian, if you're always getting into sinful situations, you have to ask yourself, am I truly following the Spirit of God? Am I dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty? Am I following God's way or am I in disobedience to God? Because I'm following my own presumptions. I'm following my own actions. See, folks, that is why God is withholding his blessing from so many churches today, from so many Christians in their lives. It's because where they're dwelling. They're not dwelling in God they're not dwelling under his shadow. They're dwelling under their own light, under their own glory. They're the ones receiving all the praise. And so in our text today, we see Satan is trying to draw Jesus into actions that would display pride. Very clearly. Verse 6, And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down. Well, this is literally what we would call a blind leap of faith. Folks, Christians are never, ever to take blind leaps of faith. Have you heard that before? Well, you just got to believe God and trust and, and, and take that step. Wrong. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. For Jesus here jumping off a building without injury... That is presumption. Even the kids knew that. No, we don't do that. You'll get hurt. Kids know that, but sometimes adults don't learn. <laughs> we don't learn. Why? Our pride keeps us from wanting to realize the truth. Now, see, presumption is not faith. Now, here, here is something that I think is so important, and, and that is we can't put faith in the act of faith. Think about that. We cannot put faith in the act of faith. One, 
Faith comes from obedience to the word of God. Okay? So anything that the Holy Spirit of God is leading you to do, within your circumstances, in your situations, all those things, at some point God's going to draw you to his word to confirm that. So until you get that confirmation from God's word, and that don't mean you go in here and find a verse, uh, that's the one I want, yep, okay, I'm standing on that. No, you don't do that. Through your daily devotions, your daily Bible studies, daily prayer life, you're able to see from God's perspective your circumstances, and he'll draw to that verse. And as you're reading that verse, you've read a hundred times. All of a sudden, you read it this time, boom. Oh, Lord, yes, thank you. Because now he applies that verse to your heart. And it's confirmation that this is the direction you need to be going. So faith comes from the obedience to the word of God, who is the author and finisher of our faith. You see, the problem with Christians today is Jesus is the one who gave us the word. Jesus is the one who gave us the faith. The faith is not ours. The word is not ours. It's Jesus's. It belongs to him. He has given it to us. Faith is a gift of God. Okay? It's a gift of God. It's not based upon you or me. It's not based upon my abilities or your abilities. It's based upon God's ability to perform what he said he would perform. Nothing to do with us. Our part is to be obedient to the word of God that, of what he has told us, what he has shared with us. To be obedient to it. But yet too often Christians, we fall into these acts of presumption instead of faith. Because it's not my faith, it's not your faith. I don't develop my faith. You can't develop your faith. You can't make your faith stronger or weaker. And neither can I. It's a gift of God. And we have to understand that. It's a gift of God. And it's based upon God's ability. Now, here's an example. Hebrews 12, verse 2. This is Jesus. And it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he, is, he, he created it, and he will finish it for us. Who? Now, the who is this? That's Jesus. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what we see in this passage is Jesus has obedient faith, not presumption. Why? Is, well, it's very simple. First of all, what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. Was that Jesus' plan or God's plan? That was God the Father's plan. Why? Because it was written in prophecy, written in the Old Testament, that Messiah had to go to the cross for our sin. All Jesus was doing, he read the word of God. There it is. That's where I have to go. I have to be obedient to the Father. Okay? Same thing works out in yours and my life. So he endured the cross. He despised all the shame because he knew this is what the Father wanted him to do. He, can, he, he didn't care what everybody else thought. All he cared was, what does the Father think? And that's why the Father, every time the Father said something about Jesus, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
Oh, that he could say that about us. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But why did Jesus do all this? It said, for the joy that was set before him. Jesus went through all that because it was, the God, it was the Father's will for him to go through all that, but he did it for the joy. You know who the joy was? You and I coming into fellowship with the Father because of what Jesus did. That was the joy set before Jesus. That's why he endured it all, so that we could have fellowship again with God. That was lost because of our sin. See, it is through the Spirit by which he gives each of us a measure of faith. Therefore, we can only respond with the measure that God has given us. You know when it says we need to be faithful in a little bit? Well, when we learn to be faithful in that little bit over here, telling the truth. Things we tell our ki- teach our kids to do, many times as adults, we don't do. You know, we, 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 we justify our actions. Well, I'm an adult now. and nah, it's no big kids. I don't want you doing that. Wrong answer. Okay? If we can't be faithful in these little things, God's not going to give us the bigger things. Our word should be our word. If you give your word to someone, you hold on to your word even at your own peril. Okay? Or you go and, conf- and admit and confess that person, what I said was wrong, and I cannot do that. Then that's, that's fine. But we got to hold to our word. We can't lie. We can't give these little... Tell them I'm not home when you're home. I mean, all those kind of things we justify so often. But yet, God looks at us and looks at his son and says, your blood was for that too. One day they might learn. You know? How faithful are we? How obedient are we? You know what? If Jesus would have jumped off that tabernacle... I believe he would have died he would have, he, because he wasn't being obedient to the Father. He would have been just like you and I would have jumped off. Same thing happens. Okay? Now, God can do miracles. I believe in miracles. But when we act in presumption and not faith, what takes place is pride takes place. And pride is what leads Christians into a state of presumption instead of faith. And we deviate from the plan of God by following our own plan. Again, the pride of life, we overcome it by humble, by, by being by humble, obedient faith to God's plan. Okay? We have to do that. And so presumption assumes that God is going to follow me. Well, God, this, this looks good. You need to follow this. This is it. God, come join me. Isn't that what we do? We hope God's going to join us in what we're doing because we haven't got a word from him. Folks, this, this puts the child in charge of God. Now, here's an example that may offend some folks, but this is what destroys families is when parents allow children to run the house. I'm sorry, parents, you're the authority. Your job is to teach your children to obey your authority. Don't debate with your kids. Well, if you do this and do this, and just I'll get on a little, little rampage here, but when you got two and three or four-year-old kids and you negotiate with, their, with them, that is wrong. I said, do that, go do it. 
I can see it with my own grandkids. They come over to our house, pop, pop, and Nana tells them to do something. They do it. Nana may say twice, but they do it. Pop-up says once. <laughs> I don't play it, you know. <laughs> Sometimes her parents come over and, well, this and that. And it's like, it's enough. Go do it, you know. Kids need to learn obedience. Christians, we need to learn obedience to the Word of God. That's so important that we do that. We can't treat God like that. You've heard these things, just believe that God will be with you. God delights in providing for his children. Folks, these are all true statements. But make sure it's God the one, God's the one that's leading us there. And he's confirming it, confirming it in his word. See, too often ministries, they get into too deep financial hardships because they're being presumptuous. We have to be willing to ask what scriptures are our actions based upon. The ministries we're doing in the church. Many times, God started it 30 years ago and he, he was blessed and he initiated it. But sometimes, I only see one burning bush. I only see one cross in the Red Sea. I, only, I don't see God doing things in, throughout all five, 6,000 years of history we have here. I don't see God doing things twice. You know, he, a couple times, but not over and over and over. I don't see a lot of rep repetition with God. Here's one passage of scripture. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. This passage is routinely misquoted and misused. Okay? You see... This is saying that I, I, I can name what my need is and God's going to give it to me? No, it's not. When you take verses 11 and 12, it says, Now that I speak in respect of want, I have learned. That's the key. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You see, it teaches that we are to be satisfied. We are to be content with what God has provided and not what we want. So this is one of those passages that goes back to the lust of the flesh. Being content. In fact, many of the times you're going to see lust of the flesh, pride of life, they go together. You're going to, when you commit a sin, it's usually you've committed both these things because they just go together. In fact, all three of these, a lot of times, you, they all come together in these things. They're not single things that take place. So it's important to realize that. But we have to understand is that we, we need that obedient faith, not presumption. In fact, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18.21, it says, and if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? In verse 22, it says, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, it, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is not, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet has spoken presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid. See, God tells us how to know the truth. 
If God's telling you to do it, folks, guess what? It's going to happen. If he didn't tell you, it's not going to happen. And that's where we've tried to put all of it in our own abilities. See, prayer and fasting, they help us to reveal the plans of God around us. They help us to see from his perspective those spiritual things that he wants us to be involved in. He opens our eyes. It opens our eyes to God's activity and to God's word. I'm always amazed when reading God's word, how verses I've read, and then I get something new out of that verse I've read many times before. That's just God opening my eyes to it. Yet too often we hope our actions or words are going to be confirmed by God. Folks, we have to be very careful about saying, well, God told me this. Well, God showed me that. I'm not opposed to that. God can do that. But my response usually is, well, first, then where is your step of obedient faith? Because usually when God tells something, somebody something, he requires them to take that step of obedient faith first before putting on anybody else. Think about this with Moses. What did God tell Moses? He said, burning bush. I want you to go bring all my nation of Israel over here. And Moses, Lord, how I, know, how I know it's you. I like this. And God goes, well, simply when, when my people of Israel are over here at this mountain worshiping me, then you know it was me. <laughs> okay. So basically what he's saying, Moses, stop asking questions. Start walking to Egypt. That's what he had to do. That first step of obedience. God's going to speak to you. He's going to show you things as a Christian. And as soon as he does, he'll confirm it in his word. And he expects you to take that step of faith in that direction. God is not one to sit there and tell Moses, well, at first you're going to have the ten plagues, you're going to have this, you're going to have... No, he just says, go. Along the way, he said, stop. Go circumcise your sons. You know, oh, okay. He will get our hearts right as we're going, folks. As we're going. I, I like the old example. What's easier, turn a car around while it stopped or when it's moving forward? Exactly. And the same thing is true in a Christian's life. If we are moving forward, even if we're going the wrong direction, God, I'm going this way. He goes, okay, you're going the wrong way. Let's, uh, let's slowly start turning this way, and I'm going to get you going the right way as long as you keep listening to me. I'll get you, go back, I'll get you back the right direction. Okay? Just get moving through prayer and fasting, studying the Word of God, having an open mind to hear from God what he wants, and he'll turn you around. He'll get you in the right direction. But you have to be moving. God said to the uh, Laodicean church, I'd rather, I'd rather they be hot or cold, not lukewarm. Being mediocre is death wish to Christians. Be hot, be cold. God can do something with you. He can turn you around, and he can give you more. But he can do something. But if you're just sitting still, it's not going to happen. See, we have to keep ourselves in obedient faith. That is so important. 
Because many times the reason we give wrong responses to God is because that's what we've been putting in our heart. Folks, I'm, I'm here to tell you, stuff I'm preaching, I didn't learn as a child and growing up at Eagle River First Baptist Church. I didn't learn it there. I didn't learn it until I went to an independent Baptist church when I, after I was a pastor. In the first church I pastored, there was a, I prayed, God, I need Bible teachers that know your word. Send me to them. And he did. There was a pastor when, when, when I was at, at uh, Coteal Baptist Church pastoring. Ten miles down the road, there was an independent Baptist church, and the pastor was there, and he had Bible classes every Tuesday. I went every Tuesday, and I started learning the Word of God, some things for the first time in my life. So I never, never, never learned this stuff. Okay? If you have a desire to learn God's Word, He will put you in Bible classes with Bible teachers who will teach you the Word of God. And if he opens the door for you to go to seminary and do those things, great, do those things. Just make sure it's a good Bible-believing seminary. Okay? But if not, he'll teach you what you need to know if you have a heart and desire for God's Word. But the problem with so many in the church today is they haven't been taught this. They've been taught, well, it's a good thing. Just start doing a bunch of good things. But it has to be God's Word, God's good things. We shouldn't, and so we should never be surprised with what comes out of our mouth or by surprised by wrong actions that we do because that's what we've been putting in our heart. That's what the Bible says. Be not deceived in Galatians 6, 7, and 9. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. I mean, that's what it says. So if you recognize what you've, been, what you've been reaping is not of God, then you haven't been sowing the right things in your heart. And it's never too late to stop and change. You can start today. You can change today. And we can begin obedient faith right away. Now, our, our, our last verse there is Jesus' response. And Jesus said in verse 7, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Well, that asks the raise the question, Well, how do you tempt God? How do you tempt God? Well, this passage of Scripture is quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. And it says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massah. Okay, well, what happened at Massah? I had to go look it up. And I read, oh, that's, that's where Moses turned, struck the rock and it turned and water came out. Okay. So I read, I read that passage of Scripture. And I saw... The nation of Israel, the people that just crossed the Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's army, all these things took place. Now they're hungry, they're, they're, they're thirsty. Oh, we're, we're, you brought us over here, Lord God, to, to, to have, so we can die in the wilderness. You just you didn't have to worry about burying it, giving us burial ground. You just leave us right here and, and, and all the, the, the birds would come and you don't have to do they're just, they're just complaining and complaining and griping and moaning, and that's what they're doing. They're tempting the Lord. Instead of saying, God, we don't have water. And unless you provide some water somehow, we're going to die. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. See, God 
always has his provisions for us. We just don't see him at the time. He has his plan for us, but we just don't recognize it. As we see next week, he has his path for us. But too often we're busy following our own path. We want to get from point A to point B. And we go, okay, there, there to there, let's go. And God says, no, I want you to go this way over here and up over this way and down back over here. And then I'll get you there. Because we forget the journey is where we grow. It's just not the task. And so we tempt God by not allowing, by not turning to God when, we're, when, we, need, when we need him. He's the last one we turn to. He should be the first one we turn to. And so we tempt God by thinking God is like us. He's a good old boy. You know? He's my friend. The Bible says he is. He's my friend. But I guarantee you, if Jesus were to show up, there wouldn't be any of us that'd walk up and say, Hey, Jesus, man, it's good to see you. High five, right? That ain't going to happen. How do we think, who do we think we are that we would do something, anything different than the Apostle John or Isaiah or any of those men of God when they came into the presence of God? They fell on their face as dead men and they worshiped him. They saw their sin. <coughs> That's what they saw. The problem is when we go, we go see Jesus, we don't see our sin anymore because we don't recognize Jesus as the creator of this universe. We don't recognize Jesus as the judge that we answer to. We need to get that perspective back. And what keeps us from that perspective is the pride of life. We think more of ourselves than what we are. And that has to change within the church. We think I'm better than whoever this other person is when Jesus says, no, you're worse than them because you should be their servant. Because Jesus was the servant when he came. We should be the servant. See, we can't base our decisions on our circumstances and our situations. We have to go to God and his word so that he can open our eyes to see those same circumstances, those same situations, that same scripture from his perspective. See, that is what reveals God's activity and God's plan in our lives. That's how we live out obedient faith instead of presumption. That is how God involves us in his work and his plan, giving us his provisions. That's how we're able to work all those things, those spiritual things that God wants to do through us. It's through obedient faith. Humble, obedient faith reveals God's plan. And it will make us overcomers to the sin of the pride of life. Let's stand and pray. 
Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.